All right, so we are doing chapter 12 today. So review, last week we talked about chapter 11, super easy. And we talked about, so a bit about the head covering. Uh, one of the things that it struck me, I liked how we, we talked about not just the parts that we don't understand, or the parts we have questions about, uh, but also about that there's trend. I can't hear a word. You can't hear a word? Okay, we got, we got tech support on it. Not, not one word. Who knows? Some people say the class is better when you can't hear one word from me. And I want to hear you. Okay. Now talk. Am I good? Keep talking. Keep talking? Uh oh. <laughs> Can you hear me now? This sounds like a Verizon commercial. Upstairs too. <laughs> That's weird. You get two classes in one. Are you hooked up to the microphone? Yes, very much so. I can hear my voice coming through. You're on the microphone. I can hear you. Okay. You can hear me? Yeah. Okay. It's working for him. I don't know. All right. Hopefully, it'll fix itself. The, so we talked about the head covering. I think one thing that is important to note is that even if you don't understand the specifics of the head covering, there are things, transcendent things, that Paul talks about that, okay, it's working, good deal. The transcendent parts that, even if you're unsure about the covering itself, that you could take away from that. And I really think that's important too, because you think about how the distinctions between gender, Paul thinks are important. Now. You would think that this would just be obvious to society, but apparently it's not as obvious as you would think, because this is 2023. Uh, the other thing is that the, it talks about the Lord's Supper, and I really think it's, it's so ironic in that story when you find out that people are worried about themselves there, because you go back and you read the account of the Last Supper, and Jesus specifically dealt with this sort of attitude with the apostles, right? So this is what I think it was Ryan to put it. It's like it just shows they, they still didn't get it in a certain sense, and I think that's true. And then on Wednesday, we're going to do chapter 13, so just FYI. With that said, then Daniel is going to lead us in a prayer. So what, just imagine, and just think about, what's the first answer you would, you would come up with to this question? What is the opposite of love? Right, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Hate. Hate, exactly. Why is it that, it's like everybody says, well, you didn't have it, what did you have? 
Indifference. Oh, hmm. Actually, so I think that I think that's actually probably more accurate. It's funny because the first thing that popped in my head was hate, and I was like, I know that's probably not the right answer, but uh, here's the thing about it. I think that's the hate is the obvious answer because that's how we talk about it in our world. But I don't think it's hate. I think it's selfishness, which I think fits a little bit more with indifference. Because if you think about the various times in which somebody has done something that's not loving, some of them could be hate, but some of them I don't think are hate. It's just indifference, right? I just don't care. Right? That's not the same thing, but that's not, that's not hate. That's not really love either. You think about how what Adam and Eve did. Did they hate God? Well, they did something. They committed the first sin because they wanted to be like God. It doesn't seem like they hated him, but they were acting in their own benefit. So I think selfishness fits that, but hate does not. And then, I, So I was thinking, is it, is it true that hate that selfishness is really the core of so many of these sins and I think that you could say that much of what the first Corinthians what the, what the Corinthians were struggling with there were issues that were touched by some level of selfishness. And then I thought okay so there is an exception to, that, to the idea that sins are caused by selfishness. And I thought well what about idolatry? Maybe idolatry is an exception to that. But then when I thought about it I thought well actually I think that is touched by selfishness. If you read about how pagan gods were worshipped People would offer them these, these sacrifices, but they offered them for a reason, and it was to get something back, because they wanted their crops to be good that year, or whatever it happened to be. So that's selfishness. And then, you remember how Paul, in Colossians 3, verse 5, he says that covetousness is idolatry. And in the New Testament, I was talking to John Carline a couple of months ago, and he's... So, Paul is saying that covetousness is idolatry, and we were talking about how that phrase in the Bible says people talks about people serving money. It's kind of an odd phrase. We don't use that except for we don't say that phrase unless it's in a religious context. What does it mean to, to serve money? Here's what we don't mean. We don't mean we want to serve money's interest or bring glory to money. That's not what we mean. What we actually mean is we want money to serve us and to bring us glory. So that's touched by selfishness as well. And I'm mentioning this because, like I said, I think the issues that Corinth is struggling with, they're all touched by some level of selfishness. There's also a pattern here. So we're going to cover chapter 12, and we're going to, there's a, a flow of thought through 12 through 14. And it's actually a similar flow that occurs in chapters 8 through 10, though with a different issue. And it's that, remember, Paul starts off, he gives some general guidance. They have a question, he didn't answer it. Three chapters have to go by before he finally comes back and says, okay, here's the answer to your question, right? So he kind of answers, he answers it at a different level. But he starts off with a general description, and then he says, love is more important in a certain sense. It doesn't say it in, that, in those words always. But in chapter 9, he, he points out, I got all these rights, and I, I lay them aside, because there's something more important than those things. And then finally, he gives a specific guidance in chapter 10. And he does the same thing with spiritual gifts in 12 through 14. So 14 is going to get a lot more detailed, and 13, he gives you that, that big picture transcendent purpose that, that says selfishness is the problem here. And in chapter 12 is what we're going to co- cover today. So with that said, if, so we're in page 91 of the study guide. So if you, wanna, if you want to open that up and take notes or highlight things that you thought were noteworthy or you had questions about, you can do that. And let's go ahead and listen to this. If this doesn't work, I'm going to have to call on one of you to read it. First Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to be righteous, however you were led. Therefore, 
want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts of the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service of the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between the spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one the same spirit, who apportions each one individually as it wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all are made free of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then these of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Mm. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. All right, so what stood out to you, or what questions did you have about that? Yeah, very good. The gift doesn't appear to be um, given to the individual so much as the body itself. And if you're going to get caught up in your own gift, um, like speaking in tongues, no one's benefiting, and there's no one to hear. Same thing with like a miracle. There's no one receiving any of it, preaching, teaching, um, healing. 
against like appealing. I mean, I'll just say, if you're praying to God for healing and you're going having a poison administrated to you in any amount, or are you working within like the parameters He had set up for us? And that's kind of a question, not so much a statement, but it's we could get caught up in an individual gift that's given to the person. That's not the way He meant it. It was a serves the body. And how, how important is it for us to recognize that in each other as offices, administrations, governments, that we have it here? Um, do we acknowledge that in each other? Yeah, I think it was you, I think in the Galatians class, that said that in the church there are no individualists. Right, and I think that's right. Like these gifts are supposed to serve a purpose, but not for us. Right, and if you think about it, it's pretty obvious the Corinthians have have forgotten that since they start, you know, dividing themselves up by these things. And Paul later talks about how everybody comes to bring their gifts, and they want to they want to show it to everybody else. But it's like it's about them showing it to everybody else, not about how they can serve the the other people around them. Yes, Bob. Pretty much the same answer, verse seven. The common. Yeah, if the, the common good makes a lot of sense when you think about something like the heart. When the heart dies, the body dies with it. It just, the whole thing goes with it. You don't have two hearts. Uh, yes? Um, it's just me how important variety is in the body of Christ and how wrong it is whenever we all want to look the same. Yeah, this is, this is true. And this phrase winds up being manipulated by the world. But this is the phrase unity and diversity. This is actually correct unity and diversity. And it's, it's noteworthy too because in chapter 12 he talks about the diversity aspect. And then in, verse, in chapter 13 he comes into the, the unifying aspect that everybody's supposed to have. So this is the diversity in chapter 13 is the, the unity, if you will. Yes? Okay, uh, yes, <laughs> and Lisa is going to answer it. That's why she has a hand raised. She, oh, you should see the look of shock on her face. I guess, I guess not. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think this one's weird. Let me, let me read it. It says, so I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And no one can say Jesus is Lord except for the Holy Spirit. I, I struggle with this as well. And I remembered years ago, I had read this book by Bruce Winter. And he took the view that, because he was trying to line up cultural items in Corinth and say, if you understand the culture, he said a lot of things in 1 Corinthians fall into place. And there's something, and I'm not 100% certain this is right, but I think he's probably onto something. What he's saying, he thinks that this is not people saying that Jesus is cursed, because the Greek is actually a little bit weird. It just says anathema, Jesus, cursed Jesus. There's no verb. There's no is in there. Okay. Sometimes the word is is implied by Greek without it being specifically stated. What he thinks happening is that people are actually cursing others and saying, "Well, Jesus will curse you because you don't agree with me on this." And he puts together an argument that makes a lot of sense. First of all, he looks at culture and he says, back then, these, this idea of doing these, curse, these little curse tablets, 
was super common. And he said, we have a ton of them from Corinth. Well, I mean a ton relative to what you usually have from the first century. Just, you don't have a ton of stuff, but we've got a bunch of examples of this. And he said, it's weird because they oftentimes don't put the verb in there. Right? So it says, anathema, Jesus, you curse Jesus. That actually is how a lot of these curse tablets are. And so he says, if you look at that, we have evidence that pagans would do this, in, even in Corinth. He says, we even have, unfortunately, we have examples of people who claim to be Christians who would do the same thing after that time. Okay, so then you put it together, it could be that some of the Corinthians were saying, well, you'll be cursed by Jesus because of, you know, whatever disagreement. I, I was thinking about this because I, I talked to somebody and he told me, and it was somebody who's been struggling with this idea that he's been saved for a long time. And he was having a discussion about politics with somebody and the other guy said, this is in politics, because that's relevant to this. The guy said to him, he said, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be you on Judgment Day. It's kind of a similar concept that may be going on here, okay? And then it, the flow of logic then, I think, makes a lot more sense because he's, he reminds them of the time when they came from, when they were led astray by speechless idols, however you were led. So you could be saying, you remember those times when you guys used to do that? And then he says in verse 3, therefore, it starts with the word dio, so he connects those two. And then he says, no one can say by the Spirit of God, could say Jesus, Jesus cursed, right? So if, if he's saying, he's like, you're being led by your past, not necessarily by the way you should be thinking about it now. And so that could be the glue. Like I said, I'm not 100% certain, but when I tried to put different views together, that's the one that felt like it made the most sense in context. All right. Uh, yes? Mine's going to go on with yours, but he... To me, I always interpret it. He starts out talking about spiritual gifts, and the brothers that do not want you to be ignorant. So he doesn't want us to be ignorant that there are spiritual gifts. And then he goes on to say, you know that when you were pagans, that you were being led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So they were, when they were pagans, they were worshiping idols, worshiping other gods. And he said, therefore, well, because of that, I'm going to get things straightened out here. I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is the first, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So once you come to Jesus through the Spirit, then you can recognize Him as Jesus and as the Spirit versus how you recognize all of the pagan gods before Him. So I always thought it was just talking about Throw away your pagan gods. Come into the spirit of God. It, it, it's almost like Paul sorting it all out for him. And then he goes on in four to say, now there are, there are a variety of gifts by the same spirit. So he said, if you've got those, if you're still worshiping idols, that's not the spirit of God. But don't confuse that with the gifts that I actually give you. So it's like stirring it all in a big pot taking away the gifts. So he's clarifying the gifts versus pain. So there's definitely spiritual gifts, but it doesn't have any, but because of the pagan worship, he had to clarify that and separate the two. So if that's the case, then that would link back to more like chapter 10 through 11 when he was trying to distinguish it. Yeah, that, that's true. That would make sense too. Uh, I know Lisa had her hand raised too. Uh, yes, Tony. It seems to be similar types of things. Maybe 
maybe he's not addressing exactly Gnosticism here, but kind of the spirit just wants to say, well, do you think I'm in the flesh? Well, that's not from God. And that, he tells them to test the spirit. Okay, here's kind of your litmus test of like, is this really from God or is this not? So maybe a person here who says they have a spiritual gift, they have a spiritual knowledge, you know, they can give that the, the spiritual wisdom or spiritual knowledge. Well, how do you know that? Well, but this, this is what they're saying. Well, I have a spirit of knowledge that God has given me his gift. Well, clearly he has it. That's the kind of things that he's speaking through you uh, by this supposed gift that this is how you're going to know if that person even has that. And so don't think that just because someone said that I have this spiritual gift that it just ends the debate on it. It kind of depends on what you're doing with it also. And so you might want to look at then all the other spiritual gifts that he puts there too of like how then are those being used? Because you might even fall into some things about selfishness that you might see in these that go, that's not exactly what God or how God would be using these. And so if the spirit is the one distributing those, the spirit would also be directing how they be used. Yeah, and that that's true, because that would fit the context as well. That's where another place where first John would fit, because he goes on in chapter 13 and gives a test in a certain sense that would be very in line with 1 John, which is about you look at these over, this person's overall disposition and whether they can love the way they should. Right? That's the big picture item. And then that should stretch back all the way back to the divisions they had when they were saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. He says there's one spirit. There's not multiple spirits. They're not competing. It's one spirit. They should be saying the same thing. Uh, let's see. Yes? I'm going to put a little different spin on it. Okay. Uh, Knowing that the problem that the Corinthians are having is they're classifying and elevating different gifts above the others. All the gifts come from where? The Holy Spirit. So if you elevate one, saying it's more important than another gift from the Holy Spirit, uh, what are you kind of doing? Well, that gift's no good. That gift's a curse. You know, that, that's a not as good a gift. And, and so they're classifying the gifts, and he said, if you're in the Spirit, you're not going to do that. You'll realize that all the, and he goes on to say, all the gifts come from the same Spirit, so they're all just as good as another. And that's a lesson that they needed to learn in, in the context of the fact that they're uh, choosing which gifts they, they think are the best. Yeah, and it's kind of funny, too, because they talk about, like, tongues winds up appearing a lot. So it seems like they have prioritized tongues over the others. Now, Paul actually gives you a sorted list, and he puts tongues to the bottom, which is a little bit funny. But, but yeah, because that, that fits the whole body theme. You can't just be like, eh, I don't need that liver thing. Oh, you will find out you did <laughs> very quickly. Uh, yes, Raina. Just a second, Your heart, you know what I mean, where he hardens and softens as he pleases. 
Yeah, and it's funny because he, he likes, there's a certain point which, I can fit with your, which fits with Bob's thing too. It's like there's no vestigial organs in a certain sense in the church. Like everybody has a value. And Paul does actually do a part where he sorts. And he'll actually, in chapter 13, he'll even do another sorted list where he'll actually include faith in the list and this list that beats the list in chapter 12. And he puts love at the top of that one. Uh, and Lisa had her hand raised, and so I'm worried that I scared her off by saying she was going to tell us about that. Did you still need a mic? Well, I was going to say, um, kind of tailing on what Lisa said, I think that the church has a lot of value because That's a good point. Depends. You know, what's a little bit harder is it depends on what you def- how you're going to define spiritual and gift in this case, right? It's a. We'll we'll talk about that uh, maybe maybe on uh, Wednesday, or, or somebody else can bring it to too because I don't. That's not like I have a hard agenda. Uh, let's see. I think it's somebody who's had to hand raise over. Yes, Sarah. Um, one thing that struck me on this reading is a lot of times we focus on like verse 21 where the eyes saying, I don't need you, and the head saying, I don't need you, uh, to emphasize there's no like more important part of the body. Um, but um, I think it's interesting that struck me this time, like in verses 15 and 16, um, instead of like a boastful thing, it's like the foot saying, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong. Or the ear saying, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong. Um, it also means that, you know, some of the parts shouldn't, like, kind of withdraw just because they're not something else either. I, I totally agree. This, this struck me as well. It's, there's two sides to it. There's the one side acting like, I'm more important than these other parts. And there's the other part that says, okay, well, if that's true, then I'm less important than that. I might as well not even be here. Right? That's the flip side of it. And I agree with Lisa's point, too. If we act like people have to be able to have all of these gifts, we push people in difficult places. We want to put them in some of those positions. But I'm not good at this. Right? And it just leads to frustration. Yes. Mitch. Well, tying into what Lisa was saying, I think sometimes we um, get focused on the gifts Talking about that more excellent way of love. 
That fits exactly what Raymond's talking about. These gifts aren't for you, they're for the body. Okay. And that only makes sense in the concept of love. Yes? Um, yeah, it really comes back to, to unity. Love is the thing that's, that's going to propel the purpose of the Spirit. Um, and in chapter 12, he's talking about how the Spirit itself is not divided, it's got one mission, it's got one goal. And so it, it gives a variety of, of talents or gifts or, or skills. Um, but it's trying to accomplish one thing. Um, and I do appreciate someone mentioned, uh, it was first John 4, testing the spirits. So if I'm claiming to be using the spirit, but I'm accomplishing something that's contrary to the purpose of God's spirit, um, I, I think that's what, what verses 1 through 3 are saying. Um, you did mention the idea of you know, Jesus is the curse, and you can't say that through the spirit. Um, Galatians chapter 1, Paul does actually elicit a curse on those who would teach a, doc, uh, teach a gospel different than his. Right. Um, which, is a, which is a pretty bold statement. But he had the authority of the scriptures to say, look, the Spirit directed me to preach this gospel to you. If anyone's going to try to preach something different, there is a curse of God. You're, you're messing with the Holy Spirit and his mission, and, and we ought not to do that. Yeah, uh, 1 Corinthians 16.22 has one as well. So it's about the appropriateness of it in that case. Yeah. yeah. So it is serious. I'm not trying to be like, we should run around, you know, listening to Chris and Right. But it is a serious thing. If, if I'm preaching gospel and it doesn't align with the one that Paul preached, the one that Jesus originated, uh, then that's a serious charge. Yeah, it's funny. So the reason I knew that the, I think it's 16.22, if I remember right, was that when I was looking through some of these Christians who would claim these curses and use them against others, one of them quotes 1622, but in a totally inappropriate situation, right? It wasn't for somebody who was failing to be faithful to God. It was in an argument, and it was on one of these tablets. It's like, oh, that's, that's just petty. <laughs> uh, yes? Yeah, so I, I keep thinking of this idea of identity politics here. Like, going back to the beginning, for certain things, like, I am a Paul, I am a Paulist. It's like, well, as a fill-in, I think this is saying that we can have different perspectives, different gifts, and still have unity, right? That it doesn't have to be that who we are, our background, our, our gifts have to define what group we're in, or, or they have to define how we believe about things, right? It's we all still can be together, unified, even if we're slightly different. Yeah, and it, when you think of it the way that the, you said cancel culture, the way that the world handles it, they'll, they'll say unity and diversity. That's not unity. That's compliance. Okay, they, there's, unity and compliance are two very different things. And when people are doing it out of fear, that's simply compliance, and that's just not the same thing. Yes? Well, tying on to John's point, he said even if we have slight differences, I would say this is saying even if we have drastic differences. The eye is drastically different than the foot. The ear is drastically different than the hand. We have different, I mean, if you want to say roles or purposes to play. Um, uh, I'll leave it with that. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And so th- then this is where the, the diversity aspect has to be there. That's how a body functions. An eye functions like a heart. It's not a good eye, right, and vice versa. And then the unity aspect is, like I said, one spirit, but they have one purpose, and that's what brings them all together. Yeah, good point. Yes? Uh, something else I just pointed out was uh, the idea of uh, making such a distinction um, or even, even eliciting a curse is not necessarily an unloving thing to do because the world, again, has, has changed that definition to something it was never intended to be. He clarifies it in a very nice way. Uh, but we're told to, if I make anyone feel uncomfortable by making a distinction between them and me, that's an unloving thing to do. Well, Jesus said he came to bring division. He came to bring a distinction between those who would follow him and, and not. Um, it's actually the loving thing to, to say, I, I want you to follow me in this direction. This is where Christ wants us all to go. Yeah, well, you know, so I'm thinking, because of John, your point about cancel culture fits this too, because the, in the world, they will sometimes say, don't ever make anybody, don't be intolerant. Make them feel bad, right? And then from that same idea comes cancel culture, right? I mean, it's just like, okay, at some point, these lines have to be drawn. This is the point. So even they recognize that they just do it in totally the wrong way. All right. Any other questions or comments? Yes. So in verse 10, um, one of the things that they say is um, the ability to dis- distinguish between spirits. Um, is that the idea that we are to be kind of a check for one another? Um, that there may be some that we need to kind of check um, and distinguish between whether they are speaking for the spirit of God or I'm just curious what yeah, good question. Uh, what do y'all think on that? Raymond has his hand raised. It just makes me think of um, some of know the names, but they asked Jesus, we, can we call down fire from heaven? And he said, you know not what spirit you are of. Well, that would mean that's how simple that, that is, that in a moment of heated vengeance, you're suddenly outside of the Holy Spirit because whatever spirit was dwelling in it was vengeful and I think she's right over the target with it I don't know that it's so discerned demons I, it may actually just be discerned what spirit is influencing you in that moment and it is a check because that's exactly what Jesus did yeah I've always thought in the gospel account like, what would Jesus' reaction be and I was like, should we call down fire like no no like what? What? How? Where did you? Where did this come from? You know, Josh. And then I think there's somebody else. Oh, Bob. I'm struck by the analogy of the body, um, especially regarding uh, verse 22 and 26 together. 22 says that all of the parts, including the weaker ones, are indispensable. And 26 says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. So I think about if if we just stick with the body and we cut our hand, suddenly our other hand is not injured, it's grabbing the injured hand. Our face flushes, our heart rate changes, we breathe in, our feet may move, our vocal cords may activate, 
has got our head, but the whole body responds to that. Now, bringing that into the context of church, we have a tendency, even when we don't mean to, to say, well, these are the most important members, or these are the most important teachers, or these are the most important people we should be paying attention to. But then we have fringe people that when those people go away, we don't know about it, or we forget about it, or we're not concerned with that. This says even those people are indispensable. The whole body hurts when we lose our weaker members or our lesser members or however you want to calibrate it. So we can't, we have to recognize when we've done that sort of hierarchy, if you will, and break that down and realize, no, we're all one. We, we're all important. Um, we all have a variety of skills, but together, we're all within Christ's body. Yeah, if you had a body where a part came off and it just the rest of the body didn't respond, it would be a problem not just for the part that left, it would be a problem with the body itself, right? You shouldn't be so easy to, to pull yourselves out. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Bob. Uh, back in Yeah, that, that's true, because it would make sense, because he later, I mean, there's, there are important things that are important, but they are important in the right place. You have to discern how to use them. So maybe is that what he's talking about? Because in that case, these people have spiritual gifts. And he says, in your case, you need to shut your mouth. It's not, this is not the right time for it, right? So there's a, you can have the gift, and there's another thing about discerning how to use it. Yeah, true, that might be, might be what he's talking about. We, we, we know clearly they were struggling with that. Right. You know, you talk about from the position of looking down on someone else, but you can also come from the position of being jealous of someone. And see, and that's that, it kind of goes back to Sarah's point. This is that flip side of it, right? There's, if you're looking down on people, and if we have a church that is raising up certain things and saying these are important, more important than the other things, what you're also saying is the other things are less important. And so that's going to cause those people to feel like they shouldn't even be here. Maybe that's kind of fits with Josh is saying, too. Well, maybe I should just not be here. Maybe I should just go somewhere else. Yeah, great. So, so I have a question. I ask the questions right now. Okay. You answer them.
this entire gift that he's given us. I've talked to a lot of people here that have providence, and they see God's providence and how it lives and brought here, not to this building, but to these people. And I don't know how to reflect that into other people, um, being a young Christian, old man, a young Christian myself, or this, this concept of relying on the body and the gifts. Was that his intention? says administrations and like government will that be separate from um, the secular aspect of just yeah I, I like where you're going with that because if I'm hearing you correctly what you're saying is we when we tend to talk about gifts we tend to talk about figure out your gift and figure out how you can help others but then the flip side of that is that also the case is I, I don't have all the gifts. No one has all the gifts. And so therefore, I need to be seeking out others to help me where I have a gap. And it seems obvious that it has to be a two-way street. I think it should be both. Yes? Yeah, you mentioned that in Ephesians 4. He says that's why we were given evangelists and teachers and elders for the equipment of the saints. I don't think he's assuming that only happened in the assembled as a congregation. These individuals were, were helping all the time. And, and it's a good thing for us to seek them out and use them. And I don't think it's also just competing to those three groups of people. Seek each other out. You know, there's, there's wisdom that we can benefit uh, sharing throughout the week. Well, and this fits with Josh, what you said, because if you're a member of a body, you shouldn't be able to just fade away. You shouldn't just be able to stop showing up on Sundays and it be like there's no void. That tells me the problem didn't start when you left. The problem was well before you left. Yeah, and I think, did somebody else have a hand So Josh and then... Yeah, yeah. Uh, what you mentioned jives uh, with what we see in verse 29. He's asking rhetorical questions. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Well, if not everybody's a teacher, that means that everybody else is a student in a way, right? That would be the opposite. So if we're all students, most of us, then that means we're relying on teachers to communicate the instruction that hopefully eventually those of us who are students can also teach at least what we know. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, and I like that. I think this fits what Lisa was saying too because here's what you don't want. You don't want me as a song leader. Okay? <laughs> just, just trust me. Well, I'll have you do it and not me, Josh. But I mean, you just don't want it. And guess what? That's fine. Right? Because there's enough people here to do it. I mean, I guess if, there's, if it's a really small congregation, it gets really awkward real fast. Daniel. Yeah, that, and that goes back to that unity aspect. We're unified in the fact that we're all trying to accomplish the same thing, and that works better when we can do it as a functioning unit. Raymond.
Yeah, worship here, if you mean it's more than just the assembled thing, then you're absolutely correct. I mean, it has to be a whole life that you live, not just something that's... If you're only a Christian on Sunday, you're not a faithful Christian. They put it that way, right? It's got to be bigger than that. Uh, yes, Lisa. Yeah, I like that. Go out to the fringe so that you can bring them in and they're not on the fringe. And that's what I, I worry sometimes. That's what I think happened in Corinth. I worry sometimes that the church sometimes prioritizes the gifts of the Spirit in a certain sense over the fruit of the Spirit. And there was somebody I knew who, he was obviously somebody on the fringe. But he was the kind of guy where if you needed a new garage door, he would show up every single time. And he just didn't feel like he had something to offer the church. And he was, he was on the fringe until he wasn't on the fringe. Because he went the wrong way with it. He just left the church. And, and it's bothered me because I thought he, he always just acted like he didn't have something to offer. But, but this was the kind of guy he would show up all the time and do, what do you think is easier, to go put up a garage door or teach a Bible class? I mean, I guess it depends if it's chapter 11 or not. But the, I, I mean, and how hard of a garage door. But a garage door is a lot, I, I just, I, I wonder if he would have felt like he had more to offer if he would have felt more engaged at the same time, you know? So, uh, Mitch, and then Nina. So I've got a question on verse 28. Um, seems like he's going through this whole chapter saying, don't set an order. And then in verse 28, he sets an order. Um, what is he referring to in 28? So, uh, I would say... Technically, he never said there isn't some sort of order per se. I, I just I, I don't see anything as specific as didn't say in a certain sense. Because he goes on, because exactly what you just said, 28, he just says, well, first, there are apostles. Second, there are prophets. You know, and he actually starts putting them in a list. And then he actually puts the gifts themselves, miracles, gifts of healing, and then he puts tongues last, which is a little bit funny because they made such a big deal out of tongues. And, so, and then in chapter 13, he also puts in order faith, hope, and love. And he specifically says which one's the greatest, which is love. So, I, I don't know, maybe I missed something where he specifically said there, there's, you shouldn't order them. I would qualify by saying when somebody says you shouldn't order them, it depends on what, what way they mean by that. Because sometimes what people actually mean is that we act like this is not important, we don't need this versus the other. That's actually what they mean. Well, Paul would agree with that. 
but he isn't saying, I mean, like I said, he, he gives you a sorted list. But what he does with all of this sort is he puts love above all of them, which is the thing that all of us are supposed to have, which is, should be the focus. So unless I missed something, I guess I, I didn't say the, I don't think I said the phrase, he didn't necessarily, say, he said there's no order because, well, he just said 2080 does, he just said exactly that. Nina? And the other thing, too, is you have to, anything you say sorted, you have to ask, what is he sorted? There's multiple different parameters. Is there a certain thing he's looking at versus something else? And so we did get, I know it looks like we only got through one question, but we actually covered this one, too, so we're good. Yeah, so uh, Wednesday we'll do chapter 15. <laughs>